Let's commence today's show talking politics with uh, Dr. Trita Parsi of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. Uh, Trita, it's been a long time. Good to hear your voice again. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Man, I'm well. If I complained, I'd be an ingrate, and I'm delighted to uh, have these 30 minutes or, or so with you to talk about a few issues. Uh, obviously, the big story uh, today is the comments that President Biden made yesterday that he believes, hopes, expects uh, that there might be a ceasefire within the next few days, the next week. Uh, that came from the president's mouth yesterday. Uh, we have not heard him uh, even use that phrase, ceasefire, uh, really, up until yesterday. So I want to get your thoughts uh, on what the president said yesterday. Of course, we all are talking about the self-immolation outside the U.S. embassy, uh, the Israeli embassy, rather, uh, the self-immolation. And there's some, some, some stuff to unpack on that. But let me start again with what the president said yesterday. How did you read those comments? Well, obviously, it's quite welcome if we uh, can get to a ceasefire. Um, it's a stark contrast to what Biden said earlier on, in which he said that it would be impossible to get a ceasefire. It's also a stark contrast with what Biden did last week when he vetoed a resolution, a third resolution at the UN, calling for a ceasefire. I think the pattern we're seeing is that it's not that Biden is inherently against the ceasefire is that he's inherently in favor of giving Israel the maneuverability to do whatever it thinks it needs to do and protect it diplomatically by vetoing resolutions and pressures for ceasefire. And then once the Israelis are ready for a ceasefire, then Biden will be fine with it as well. And I find that to be very problematic because this has now cost more than 30,000 people uh, the lives of 30,000 people. Um, we, it could have been stopped much earlier. And it has completely tanked America's standing internationally. Again, three times he has vetoed a, a UN resolution calling for a ceasefire. And he has done massive damage to his own re-election campaign by alienating not only Arab-American, Muslim-American voters, but African-American voters and Gen Z voters in almost every state. We'll talk about that uh, re-election campaign and the damage that you and others believe he has done to himself already. Never mind his comments yesterday. For the first time, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, Joseph R. Biden, says that he expects in the next few days, in the next week, a ceasefire uh, in the war between Israel and Hamas. We'll talk more about that. We'll talk about, again, the, this major story of uh, self-immolation outside the Israeli embassy. Uh, and uh, Trita had uh, a pretty fascinating tweet about this that I saw last night, I guess. I uh, want to get him to unpack what he had to say about this yesterday uh, and a great deal more when we come forward with uh, Trita Parsi on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Dr. Trita Parsi, who is the executive vice president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. Just getting started in this hour, talking about the president's comments yesterday that he expects in the days to come uh, a ceasefire in the in the uh, the war between Israel and Hamas. Before I get back to that right quick, uh, Trita, um, as I mentioned, you're uh, at the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft, uh, which leads me to ask right quick before we return to the, the politics of the day, uh, what does statecraft mean? mean these days? What does statecraft look like for you uh, in this particular American moment? 
Well, let me tell you what I think it should look like, and I would certainly admit that it is not what it is looking like right now. When we talk about statecraft and responsible statecraft, we're talking about a broader strategy about the United States that is putting diplomacy first, centering our uh, uh, foreign policy and our national security on trying to find peaceful resolutions and collaboration with other states, and ending what has been a guiding principle of American foreign policy, which is to seek military domination in key areas of the world, vital areas of the world, uh, because this is a strategy that has led us into these endless wars. It has not favored the middle class or the American population. It has impoverished our country, and it has also undermined our broader standing in the world, while making sure that we don't have the capacity of being able to bring about the level of human collaboration that is needed in order to face the real existential threats of our era, which is climate change and, and uh, collective threats of that nature, which there is no military solution to. Mm-hmm. Um, glad I asked that because uh, we use that word. Uh, well, actually, we don't use it as much as we used to. And maybe there's a reason for that, too. Maybe that's telling that we don't use the word statecraft um, in the way that we used to in this country, for that matter, around the globe. Uh, and certainly, if ever there were a time for statecraft, this would be that moment. Never mind the president's comments yesterday, again, that he expects a ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas in the days to come. Um, the other piece of this is the story that everybody's been talking about the last 48 hours, the uh, the self-immolation. Uh, brother stands in front of the Israeli embassy, uh, douses himself and sets himself on fire. Uh, and there are a number of ways to, to cut this thing, a number of ways to, 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 to parse this. Before I do any of that, I want to just get you to share with the audience what you tweeted yesterday. Just unpack your tweet, which I found to be quite powerful. Well, it was a reaction to how MSNBC was covering this, because they mentioned, of course, what he said and what he did. But at the end of the package there, they put up a line, uh, the hotline for um, uh, suicide awareness, etc., which essentially signaled that they treated him as if he was suffering from inner demons uh, and uh, mental health issues rather than recognizing that what he was suffering from was the pain and the guilt that he felt because of what is happening in Gaza and what he said is America's role in the massacre, or the word he used was genocide in Gaza. So it completely dismissed that and immediately diagnosed him, even though no one at MSNBC, to the best of my knowledge, is uh, certified to, uh, to make such diagnosis. They diagnosed him as if he was suffering from mental health issues rather than what he himself said, that he is going to engage in an act of extreme protest. Mm. And I think I see a pattern here. I put at the end of the tweet, which is that if you have difficulty uh, or have a lack of capacity to empathize with the suffering of the Palestinians, then you will also have a difficulty grasping that others can empathize with the Palestinians. And that seems to be the case. They can't quite grasp that someone would go to these extremes uh, because of the pain they feel for what the Palestinians are suffering through. So it must simply be because of the mental health issue that he did. Mm-hmm. No, I'm glad um, you unpacked that uh, for those who didn't see your tweet, because it, it, it grabbed me. And of all the things I've <clears throat> seen and read in the last 48 hours about that self-immolation, that one uh, sort of jumped at me for all the obvious reasons that I wanted you to sort of, again, share that. And I'm glad uh, that... Uh, 
that you did that. Let me let me, let me build on that for a second um, because it it raises it raises this this self immolation um, raises a number of questions for me. Not the least of which is what it means to be in an American moment, indeed a global moment, where people feel so strongly about something uh, that they are willing to die. Uh, I still don't. I still don't think all these years later. I may I may get in trouble for saying this. Not the first or last time I'll get myself in trouble. Um, for saying something, but I'm still not sure all these years after 9-11 that we really, really understand in this country, put another way, that we really prepared to wrestle with what it means uh, when persons around the globe who view us in certain ways are willing to put their lives on the line for their beliefs. And to your point, if I can connect these two things, when someone does this in defense of or in uh, in um, solidarity with the Palestinian people, we view it in the way that you just described quite brilliantly that you tweeted about yesterday. Um, and that that that's that's troubling for me on a number of different fronts. I'll just pause and stop there for a second. But this notion of what it means to see others who are so critical of U.S. foreign policy that they are willing to put their own lives on the line, even to self-immolate, that's that you you can you can you can you can dismiss it all day long. You can you can, as Trita said, put it in the category of mental health uh, issues and concerns if you want to all day long. You can put your head in the sand like an ostrich. But at the end of the day, uh, whatever you think of him or others, they believe what they believe so strongly that they are willing to put their lives on the line. And that, Trita, is not only something worth wrestling with, it lets you know that when Benjamin Netanyahu says we're going to wipe out Hamas, he don't really know what he's talking about. I digress and pass the mic to you. No, I, I think you make a great point. And I think there's two different ways um, that I think we should be looking at this. First of all, to recognize that we are now entering an era of American and world history in which the United States can no longer get its way through brute force or through the massive power that it has because power has dispersed and we're no longer in a unipolar world. The United States remains the most powerful country in the world, but the, the delta between it and other countries are shrinking and as a result, the U.S. needs to adopt a much more collaborative approach in order to be able to advance its interests. It can simply not dictate it in the manner that we unfortunately have done in the last 25 or so years. And that actually has enhanced this development in which we are losing relative power. And to be able to be that collaborative, we have to relearn how do we see things from the perspective of other countries. Mm -hmm. Not because we necessarily agree with them, but, but try to understand how do they see the world? How do they um, understand their own interests and define their own interests? Because only when you understand that can you navigate this very complex, complex landscape in a manner that enables you to advance the interests of your own country, the United States. If you're just dismissing it or unwilling to listen, you're going to run into problems, and it's going to be to the detriment of the world and to the detriment of the American public. The second point I would just make is, I think in this specific case, it really should be 
uh, noted that this is not a person from a foreign country that is so upset mm-hmm. with U.S. foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Not only is it an American, but it's an active duty uh, serviceman from the Air Force. I have no idea what he may have known uh, that the rest of us do not know uh, because he was in the military and because of the role that the uh, U.S. Air Force likely does play in Gaza. Uh, We don't know the exact um, uh, nature of it or the extent of it, but some sort of role I'm pretty confident uh, we have been playing. So he may have known things that you and I and and the rest of the general public is unaware of. And and then it's taken this, as he defied in himself, this extreme form of protest. One may agree with it, disagree with it. What I think one, one shouldn't do, which is what the media by and large has done, is to just dismiss it as a mental health issue and then pretend as if nothing has happened, that nothing is wrong. Yeah. Let me let me move now. Just watching my time here, Trita. Let me move now to the point you made earlier. Um, and of course, uh, there are many others who've made this same point uh, as we uh, uh, today, Tuesday, the 27th of February, uh, watch Michigan, uh, the Great Lake state uh, is having its primary today, Republican and Democrat. Um, so far, a couple of these states, at least uh, the primaries have been on different days for different parties. Uh, but today, Republicans and Democrats have their primary in the state of Michigan. Uh, we expect, you know, Joe Biden to win that primary. I'll come back to that in just a second because there's a huge movement to vote uh, uncommitted. Uh, in that uh, primary today in the state of Michigan. Before I get to that part, though, your your comments earlier, Trita, uh, suggested that you believe uh, that the president has done great harm to himself in his reelection bid with this policy uh, in the Middle East. Uh, never mind his comments again yesterday that he expects a ceasefire in the next week. Um, unpack me why you think that damage, to the extent you do believe this, why you think that damage that he's done to himself is, speaking of self-immolation politically, uh, why that damage that he's done to himself is irreparable, if you believe that. I'm not sure it's irreparable, but I've not seen anything yet from the administration that shows a willingness to really fix it by fixing the policy. We've seen a lot of empty words, a lot of um, expressions of regret for certain specific things that have been said and done, et cetera, but no real shift in policy. And again, as much as I welcome that the president is saying that there might be a ceasefire uh, in a week or so, just a week ago, he vetoed another uh, ceasefire resolution. I think the damage is clear for everyone to see. I mean, the fact that there is a campaign to vote uncommitted and the the very slim margin that the Democrats had in the Michigan state to begin with means that you don't have to have a massive movement there to be able to shift the the election away from uh, um, uh, Biden. And the one point that I find particularly curious is this. Prior to October um, 7th, and already for some time, The Democratic message was that this is a crucial election because it is about the survival of American democracy because of the argument that if Trump comes back to power, he will destroy American democracy Mm -hmm. as we know it. And as a result, it is essential Mm -hmm. that Biden gets elected. Well, let's, let's assume that that's true. I'm not arguing for or against it. But if that is the case, then one has to ask ourselves one thing. What is it? in the continued massacre of Israel and Palestine that is so important for the United States, that Biden has been willing to not only 
sacrifice the U.S.'s global standing, not only sacrifice his own re-election bid, but according to himself, also potentially sacrifice American democracy. I fail to see what U.S. interest is of such great importance in continued warfare in Gaza that he has gone to the great length that he is, according to his own logic, risking American democracy for Those are three very powerful, um, three very prescient questions. Um, And I couldn't have done it better myself. And I do this every day, Trita. I couldn't have asked. (laughs) I I could not have posed three more, uh, more, again, more uh, more relevant questions than the three you just put forth. Uh, I'll be thinking about those three questions all day myself. Let me just ask you, uh, speaking of questions, I'm watching my clock. You've got about two and a half minutes left with you. Uh, How how you're reading the story we talked about yesterday on this program, that there is internal conflict in the White House, that the president's own team uh, is in conflict about his policy. Oh, there certainly is truth to that, and um, and there's actually quite more of that than what is out in the media right now. Um, there's a tremendous amount of unhappiness in many different quarters. I mean, we have seen things that have never been seen before. We have White House staff holding vigils outside of the White House in support of the ceasefire and essentially against the policy of the president. You have White House interns, young people who have worked so hard to get this very, very prestigious and difficult to get internship, who are signing letters to their boss demanding a ceasefire because their conscience cannot handle uh, not speaking out in this way. Yeah. Even during the Iraq war, when there was a lot of unhappiness with George W. Bush's invasion of Iraq, we didn't see this degree of protests from within government. Yeah. Let me close with this. i got a minute to go, and I'm going to ask this question of our next guest, who's joining us in the studio in just a moment. His name is Jason Palmer. He's a Democrat running for president. Uh, we're talking to everybody that uh, is running uh, on this program, giving them all a chance to be heard. So I'll ask him this question in about five, six minutes from now. But very quickly, in the minute and a half I have left here, um, if Joe Biden, and I don't expect this to happen, but 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 you recall in Nevada, when Nikki Haley lost to no other, to, to none, none, none of the candidates, she literally lost to a ghost, as it were, in the Nevada primary. I don't expect that to happen. I don't expect uncommitted to beat Joe Biden today in Michigan. But if that uncommitted number is anywhere in the range of significance, and people can parse that all day long, it would be a bit embarrassing to the president that that uncommitted candidate, uh, which is really nobody, a ghost, just uncommitted came that close um, uh, to not toppling him, but just upending his numbers. How how would you read that? How do you think the media is going to parse that tomorrow if that number is anywhere in the realm of significance? Well, the message of that to Biden is very clear, and it would be shocking to me if Biden doesn't get it. It means that that portion of the Democratic vote in Michigan may very well end up not voting unless there is a change in policy in the White House towards not just the ceasefire in Gaza, but towards Israel and Palestine as a whole. And this is the the most formal way that that message could have been sent in a way that is more than just a letter signed by people, but is an actual vote. And if Biden doesn't adjust, if those numbers are as significant as in this scenario, then um, I do believe that he is going to face major problems, not just in Michigan, but in many other states. 
We shall see what happens today in the Michigan primary. We shall see what happens in the days forward with the ceasefire that the president for the first time referenced yesterday regarding Israel and Hamas. And we shall see long term what happens to uh, his candidacy. For now, we thank Dr. Trita Parsi, who is executive vice president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. Trita, good to have you on. We'll do it again, my friend. All the best to you. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Jason Palmer has decided to run against Joe Biden as a Democrat. He'll tell us why when we come forward on Tavis Smiling. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiling. I feel like free.